Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Tuesday, January the 30th, 2018 at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Your first daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, we have snow on the ground here in Connecticut. Uh, Cindy, we woke up this morning and, you know, last night there was just grass and this morning it's snow and my wife hasn't got up yet, but when she gets up, there's going to be a shout of Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> There'll be some some celebrating going on, huh? Definitely some celebrating going on. In fact, I don't think there's going to be quite enough to satisfy her today. She, she wants to get some cross-country skiing and hadn't had much of a chance to do it this year. And uh, I think she's looking forward to Friday because Friday apparently we're supposed to get about a half a foot. And so the skis are going to be coming out. <laughs> wow. How much snow do you need to be able to go cross-country skiing? Well, you need to have enough of a foundation that, you know, when you're standing on your skis, you're not down to the ground, right? You have to have some right, snow right. underneath. So, you know, uh, six inches is probably good. Um, 12, yeah. 12 inches is going to be better if the the uh, trail is groomed. If it's not groomed, then you've got to be really ready for a workout. And by groomed, I mean, you know, it's already been skied over so that you don't have to be, you know, you're stepping down with your ski, and you're like six or eight inches down into the snow. That's hard to ski in. <laughs> got it. Well, I'm, it'll be nice if the little bit that you got uh, this morning stays around, right? And <laughs> well, that's the question. To it that's Friday. the question because I mean the ground is frozen, so it's possible it could stay. But on the other hand, it just depends on how much sun we get between now and Friday because even in cold weather, sun will melt the snow. So, don't know. It could be either way. We'll find out. <laughs> well, best wishes for her to have That's some right. really great skiing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, actually, I, it's, it's a good thing I don't have skis. I mean, I really do want to, to ski at some point, at least start skiing at some point. But I actually pulled a tendon or something in my knee. So, it's, it's probably a good idea for me not to be doing skiing right now. But, uh, yeah, my, my wife would be very excited. That's for sure. So... How's it going for you? Any any anything great? Any wins happening down in Baton Rouge Baton Rouge way? Anything that you know exciting? Well, the the big exciting thing for me today is that my my son who lives in Dallas is coming into town, and I'm really excited about that. Hooray! Um, and we've got crazy weather. Um, you know, I it's in the 30s this morning, which is really cold for us. And then I looked at the weather app to see, okay, how long is this going to last? And the high on Thursday is showing in the 70s, so oh, wow. it really feels like it's been up and down and up and down, and um, just kind of hard to get used to. <laughs> I I, uh, I appreciate it to be a little bit warmer, but um, but hey, it's all good. We're not having uh, storms and floods and hurricanes, so oh I yeah, weather. Yeah, that that's you know, that that's a big. Win right there, just that you've got a whole lot better weather than that. I mean, if all you have to worry about is the temperature swing, that's fairly mild by comparison. Right, <laughs> To exactly. say the least, you know. Oh, my exactly. goodness. So, anyway, we are going to be talking about a contributor to uh, law of attraction thought, or what is often called new thought, that doesn't get as much attention as some of the other players in the industry get. But he has had – he has, he made quite a few contributions – much earlier on than many others were even involved in it. And he was both uh, celebrated and pilloried, depending on who you listen to. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we thought it was about time we paid a little attention to him. And you're really the expert among all the co-hosts on Neville Goddard. So I'm going to let you introduce the topic and, and just kind of get us started. So, Cindy, tell us about Neville Goddard. 
Neville Goddard. Neville, Neville uh, Goddard actually ended up using a, a pen name of just Neville. And Neville is one of my favorites. And I'm not sure I would consider myself an expert on Neville, but I really, really do um, enjoy his his thoughts. And, you know, it was funny earlier, you were saying uh, Neville's greatest hits, and I made the comment <laughs> that I, I'm not going to say Neville was a one-hit wonder. That may really get me in trouble, too, <laughs> with people who are big Neville fans. Yeah. But I'm a big fan, and uh, it's not that I think he's a one-hit wonder, but we tell a story um, about Esther Hicks and her and giving Abraham's message, and they have live workshops where people will come and put themselves in the hot seat. Actually, everybody always wants to get chosen, I think, to be, you know, to get in the hot seat with Esther and Abraham and mm. to get to ask their question. And right. um, I think, well, you told me the story that a woman was kind of having trouble formulating how to ask her question. She said, I'm, I'm just having trouble kind of putting this together and know how to ask my question or what to ask. And that Esther said, well, we're going to, or Abraham channeled through Esther said, we're going to give you the same answer no matter what you ask anyway. <laughs> um, and that made me laugh, but it's the truth that, you know, there's an answer here. And it's the same with Neville. When I think of Neville, I think of um, the main point that he always seems to come around to. So we will talk about that. Um, but a little about Neville. Neville was, uh, he came to the United States in from Barbados in the 20s. He was actually an actor and a professional dancer, and he was coming to the United States, um, to New York, to for training, for acting school. Hmm. And at some point, he, he met um, a Scotsman who gave him some books on metaphysical things, and he got very interested in those, in those ideas. And then there's somebody in his writings that he met um, that was an Ethiopian Jew named Abdullah. It, I often wonder if that's why Neville went to one name, Neville. This guy was had that could be. a singular could be. name. And he was very, very um, key in Neville's teachings as far as what he learned. And so he, he said that the first night that he met him um, – he and we talked last week about favorite coaching questions. The first night he met Abdullah, Abdullah said, "What do you want?" <laughs> One of my favorite questions. And he wanted to go back to Barbados uh, to visit his family, but he was completely broke. He had no money at all. He says, "I didn't even have a nickel." And Abdullah told him that he needed to imagine himself in his father's home in Barbados in the winter. Imagine, they said, when you fall asleep at night, imagine you're falling asleep there in that bed in your father's home. And don't think about that place that you want to go, but think from that place. Imagine that you are already there and that all your thoughts are coming from that place. And he says that within days, his brother um, sent him a message and a ticket saying, please come home for the winter. We want you here. We miss you. Here's your ticket. Wow. And so that really, that idea of, as a matter of fact, one of my favorite compilations of Neville's is um, a book called The Power of Imagination. Mm -hmm. But he's also got a book, 
awakened imagination. I mean, this is his message. His message is um, to assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Just like Abdullah said to him, imagine yourself that you're already there. Not thinking from here that you wish to go there, but thinking from that place of already being there. And so using your imagination to assume the feeling that your wish is already fulfilled. And that phrase, assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled, is scattered all through Neville's writings. And so for me, that sort of his big hit was that idea that mm. everything always came back to that idea of assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled by using your imagination by understanding how the imagination works and he talks in in one of his books he says something that always struck me as kind of funny is he talks about the imagination and how we how we speak of it in a way that we don't have a clear definition. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from from the very first page of the first chapter in this book, Awakened Imagination. He says, This word is made to serve all manner of ideas, some of them directly opposed to one another. Fancy, thought, hallucination, suspicion, Indeed, so wide is its use and so varied its meanings, the word imagination has no status nor fixed significance. For example, we ask a man to use his imagination, meaning that his present outlook is too restricted and therefore not equal to the task. And in the next breath, we tell him that his ideas are pure imagination, thereby implying that his ideas are unsound. We speak of a jealous or suspicious person as a victim of their own imagination, meaning that his thoughts are untrue, and a minute later we pay a man the highest tribute by describing him as a man of an imagination. So he's talking about, you know, how no wonder we're confused about yeah, right. this imagination thing. But he says that our imagination is the gateway of reality. And he expounds a lot on that idea. And then he also gets into a place where and much of his writings is his very esoteric take on Christianity's scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so when reading him, there are going to be, uh, in, especially in certain of his lectures and essays and, his, his, and books, which are often small, like this one book I have in my hand is less than 100 pages, um, but he talks about um, there's a there's a scripture about Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says Christ in you is your imagination. So he has a very esoteric, you know, idea of all the scriptures. He does not believe that Christ was a historical figure, but that it's all a metaphor and it's all got a meaning that is. Um, Invisible, so to speak. Hmm, and so, so that's interesting. I didn't realize so that. I didn't I realize he thought that. I can understand how some people would have a very um, hard time reading him, maybe depending on their own views about religion mm -hmm. or about the Christian religion. Right. Um, and so, moving past that and just looking to what he's saying um, is is how I dealt with that in the beginning. Um, 
but I, I love I love the ideas that he has. I was gonna let's see. And while you're looking for that, I just wanted to mention that he was basically doing most of his writing, particularly toward the end of a very major domination of American society and American culture by Christianity and the Christian church, um, because he was writing in the 1950s and, of course, 1960s. That's when all kinds of social change started to happen, including within religion, and churches began what has since been a long, slow decline in attendance and membership. Um, so he was he was writing just as that was starting to come into the, the picture, so to speak. It hadn't actually arrived, and he wrote through the period where it, it kind of picked up speed. So you're right, there are going to be different people who have different feelings about it. Some are going to be offended that uh, he had these things to say about their religion, which isn't true in their view, and others are going to say, well, I was never really a Christian anyway, and I don't even want to hear about all that, and then there's going to be the people in the middle, so... He kind of he touched that that third rail a little bit, which is a little bit dangerous. <laughs> You're going to offend a lot of people on all sides when you do it. So I have to give him credit for having at least attempted to do that. <laughs> right, because I think there will be people that are um, very sure of their own um, understanding of of the Christian scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. That will say, "Oh, I'm not listening to this. This is ridiculous." This is heresy. And then there will be people that are totally open to anything metaphysical and they don't want to read it because they're like, oh no, I don't I don't do that. That sounds like church and, and I'm not involved in that. Yep. And and so yeah, you're right. He's kind of gone the the middle path there. Um but one of the things that I thought was really interesting and that's what I was I was looking for was that <clears throat> and I remember uh there was a time about a year ago that this is how I, I am with Neville. Uh, Neville's like a friend, and so I realized, you know, I haven't talked to Neville in a while. <laughs> and, of course, since Neville's not with us anymore, I just mean I haven't had my nose in one of his books in a while. Right. And that's kind of how, how Neville and I get along is that, you know, <laughs> I'll realize I'm, I'm kind of missing reading Neville, and I'll, I'll kind of sink in and, and read a bunch of it over the course of a few days, and then I might not pick it up for a while. But I had been thinking about Neville, and... I'd been thinking about, he has a book called Feeling is the Secret. And so you see what I mean? Feeling is the secret. So that's kind of his his great message is to use your imagination to feel what you want already present. And I opened his book and I realized there was a chapter called Sleep. Hmm. And in this chapter, he describes sleep as being the door to our subconscious. He okay. talks about the he likens the subconscious to the feminine aspect of us and the womb of creation. And he says that our entire slumber is dominated by our last waking concept of self. Okay. So this is a this is a message that I'm fond of and familiar of is that and you'll hear me talk about it right it's like the you're the story we tell the our own personal story that we tell about ourselves that we tell all the time so mm-hmm. with him saying you know our our sleeping period is dominated by our last waking concept of self and that our concept of ourself is like a seed that's planted in our subconscious at the moment before what we're creating or manifesting in our waking life. And so 
the thing that I think is so interesting about that is that idea of, you'll even see this with people that recommend affirmations. Oftentimes you'll see them recommending that you say your affirmations when you wake up and when you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's true. And it's that sort of liminal space that's in between asleep and awake that our brain waves are in a certain pattern that's conducive to conscious creation. And so I think that that was very, very interesting with that, you know, idea that as we're falling asleep, whatever our last, you know, consciousness, our concept of ourself is, is like a seed that's going to be creating, right? And so <clears throat> when when this happened, I had written it down because I was really struck by that idea of falling asleep and that the whole seed concept and that womb of creation and I also really am a big fan of Florence Scovel Shin. So I had picked up one of Florence's book and just opened it and just read a line. And it said this. It said, what you feel deeply or say with feeling is impressed upon the subconscious and carried out in the minutest detail. So I read that sentence while I was like pondering this idea of Neville's of as you fall asleep and it hit me. It's like, oh, my goodness. You know, if we ever have a sleepless night where we're lying awake at night because we're worried about something, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> I was like, if the thoughts that we have when we're falling asleep are the seeds that will grow into the experiences we have in our waking life, then boy, oh boy, what are we creating when we worry ourselves to sleep? This is true, yeah. It also occurs to me that, uh, and I, he isn't actually saying what happens during sleep specifically, he's talking about before and after. So I'm not quite sure how accurate what I'm about to say really is. But there seems to be a, a contrast between what he's saying and what Abraham Hicks, for instance, says. Because Abraham Hicks says, when you go to sleep, you're not doing any attracting. Law of attraction has sort of a, you have a reprieve from it, so to speak. And when you awake in the morning, then it kicks back into gear. He doesn't seem to be saying that. He seems to be saying, no, there's actually creation going on during sleep. Yeah, that's, I mean, it sounds like that to me. Because saying that our entire, then I think that was his phrase, our entire slumber is dominated by our last waking concept of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, saying that, our, that sleep is the door to the subconscious and that the subconscious is like the womb of creation, it sounds to me like that's why he's placing such an importance on what we're thinking about as we fall asleep, because we're entering into a space where we're doing a lot of creative. So that is that is a bit different. It is different. And oh, by the way, I also want to remind our listeners and any new listeners who might be listening, um, we want to encourage you, if you're enjoying this program and enjoying getting your daily dose of happy, we want to encourage you not only to become a subscriber, and we'll give you more details on how to do that at the end of the podcast, but we also want to encourage you to share this with friends because that's how we're expanding our, our listenership and how more and more people are getting exposed to the Daily Dose of Happy. Um, people who do subscribe are people who will listen to 20, 25, 30 episodes per month, so they're really enjoying it. We know that just from looking at the numbers that we get, because we can, you know, to a certain degree, track um, you know, what IP addresses are listening and how often they listen and so forth. And uh, so as a result, we know people are definitely enjoying the show. So you're, you're going to be doing, you know, friends 
who have some interest in metaphysics or law of attraction, you're going to do them a favor by, by sharing the show with them. So just wanted to throw in there. Please share the show. Yes, share, share, share. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, with with Neville, it's just always going to come back to to our imagination. And, you know, as far as him using um, verses from the New Testament, I thought it was funny because he says, at some point, not one stone of literal understanding will be left after one drinks the water of psychological meaning. So he really, <laughs> really did feel that all of the verses were had a sort of hidden psychological meaning, and that once you discovered that, that it would be very easy to understand and that none of it would be taken literally. Um, so that's kind of an... I don't know of anybody else. Florence Scobelshin does use some verses, uh, but not the way Neville does. He mm. is pretty consistent with with his ideas. Not that she's not consistent, but she has her own teaching that doesn't... I don't. I, I feel more like a lot of his teaching um, almost relies on some of these verses, mm-hmm. uh, and and hers are more sporadic. They don't come in too often uh, like his do. He has whole books where everything he's talking about sounds like he's uh, teaching the Bible. I see. Okay. Well, that makes sense based on what little exposure I've had to him, because uh, you can definitely open a, a given book uh, to a given page, and it looks like it's an entire Bible class. So that makes sense. <laughs> the interesting yeah, well, part... he, said, he says that you know when he, that when we commit ourselves to an invisible state, and you know words like that, that it all comes back to what's going on in our imagination. And he says that when we fuse our imagination with what we know to be other than us, that in that union we experience the result. So it's it's when we when we can hold the vision for something. And I think that's one of the the hardest parts of the law of attraction is when we can hold the vision for what we want to create when our senses are telling us something else mm-hmm. oh yeah that's that's the ongoing uh struggle or or uh, you know conflict or whatever you want to call it but uh the fact is human beings don't think about just one train of thought we have hundreds of trains of thought and at any given point in any given day we could be exploring any of them and in the process of exploring them all of a sudden we find ourselves dealing with you know all kinds of issues so the idea that the imagination is key to all this it, well, I have to agree with him. It is key to all this. In fact, you know, as we think about anybody's approach to law of attraction, I don't care who is doing the teaching, it all begins with, you know, well, you have to be able to imagine what you want rather than rely on reality as it is, because if you just rely on reality as it is, you're going to get more of reality as it is. And I, we presume that's what you're trying to change when you're studying this stuff in the first place. <laughs> you don't want reality as it is right now. You want a new reality. You want something else to come out of it. Well, that requires right. imagination. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's it, is, is if we were perfectly, um, you know, content with the way everything was exactly, uh, then we wouldn't, there wouldn't be any motivation. No, to, uh, no. Right? Yeah. And so that's, that's the thing, is that the idea that 
it's not about logic, right? There's there's logic, and then there's and there's imagination, and our logic is always going to go with what we see, with with what we see and hear and taste and smell and and you know we're how many times do does someone try to convince us that no, but this is the way it is. I remember oh, yeah. one of my mentors told me, as soon as you start saying, but this is just how it is, that's giving you a big, you know, that's a big red flag to alert you that this is a, a belief system and mm-hmm. probably a limiting belief system. Right, right, yeah. And so with Neville, he is saying you that's just not going to serve you in creating something uh, consciously paying attention do do you ignore it no i mean you, you do we do have eyes to see and ears to hear what's going on around us and that's why it's so tricky mm. to be able to hold the vision for something else when we're not seeing it but the imagination is the tool reading neville that's what you're going to read over and over and over um if it's difficult to to read those verses it it was at some time for me it's not anymore um i think i've just read it so much and i realized that he is just using the tool that he had at hand mhm yeah that makes sense it also makes sense to me that you're going to focus on imagination because Whenever we think about how are we going to change our perception of reality, the easiest way to do it is by kind of reverting back to childhood. Because in childhood, we had, all of us had the experience one way or another, to one degree or another, we had the experience of imagining stuff. Whether it was an imaginary friend or we were playing a a game with friends and, and it involved imagining that we were professional baseball players or we were in the army or you know we we were at the uh, the local doll economy uh, academy or whatever it might be you know we were imagining we were and it was a way of playing out you know okay so as we grow up what are we going to do with our lives what would we like to do what would happen if we chose to go this way or that way you know, it was it was imagining and and that kind of imagination is something children are really good at so when we're adults and we feel that we're kind of stuck on this or blocked by that and trying to figure out how to change circumstances we don't like we need to have the ability to imagine our more desired circumstance like uh abdullah is that his name the the, the gentleman who uh said to him when you want to go back to barbados Imagine yourself actually in Barbados. Don't don't imagine what it's like there. Imagine that you're actually there and that you're experiencing it. Well, that's imagining, and you know it's it's a powerful tool to use once we relearn how to use it, like we did when we were kids. Yeah, and that's what he says that you know in that story about wanting to go back to Barbados and learning that idea from Abdullah. That's what he says he did. That every night for several nights, when he would get into bed and fall asleep. He would imagine that he was falling asleep in Barbados, in his father's home. Mm. And so I love this. He says, determined imagination, thinking from the end, is the beginning of all miracles. I would like to give you an immense belief in miracles, but a miracle is only the name given by those who have no knowledge of the power and function of the imagination to the works of imagination. Imagining oneself into the feeling of the wish fulfilled is the means by which a new state is entered. Mm-hmm. And he and, certainly entered one. In fact, i got to mention, too, my wife and I, when we married, we, had, we, we called it Honeymoon Part 1 and Honeymoon Part 2. 
Uh, we got married in September, and so immediately after getting married, we went to Cape Cod, which is just you know, a couple hours drive away. So that was honeymoon part one. And then the following May, we flew to Barbados for honeymoon part two, and we spent time on Barbados. We were there for about a week, week and a half, something like that. And it was, a, oh, wow. <laughs> it, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful time. We, we really got to know the island well, got a, a tour from a, a local cab driver, gave us a great tour of the place and got to see Bridgetown and so forth. And so I can, I can certainly say I understand why Goddard would want to get back there because, well, it's like any Caribbean island, I suppose, but it's, it is gorgeous. It's a beautiful place, particularly on the Caribbean side of the island. It is just, I mean, the water is unbelievable. Um, I mean, the, some of the tropical gardens that are there are fabulous. Um, there, there are underground caves that are, that are really fun to explore. I mean, there's lots of really interesting stuff there. So I can, I totally get why you'd want to get back there. And it probably wasn't all that hard to imagine it because there's a lot of fertile stuff there to imagine. <laughs> so I thought well, throw especially that in. if he grew up there, you know, oh, yeah. being a, being a child there and growing up. Um, and you're right, you know, as children, our imagination is so keen, right? So, mm right and we use it so well um and that's why you know reading the beginning of the book where he talks about the way that word is used oh it's just your imagination yeah right Um, you know and it it kind of pained me a little bit to think of how um how as children we we had that kind of shut down i mean our imagination was one of the fundamental parts of how we navigated life and obviously that's how we were made like we came into this life with that tool and that ability to use it and we were good at it and then people would say oh that's silly that's you're just imagining things yes (laughs) right oh yeah kind of got it shut down and that's kind of a a drag that in fact one message one message i remember getting um, not so much for myself, but I remember friends getting it because I didn't really have an imaginary friend, but I had friends who had imaginary friends. And the, the response from an adult was always, oh, that's just his imaginary friend. Like, that doesn't really matter much. And, mm. you know, boy, yeah. what a message to get as a kid. Like, your imagination isn't all that important. <laughs> yeah, oh, and I, wow. I really think that we do get that message a lot yeah. as kids. And, um, and, of course, now that I'm not a kid anymore and that I have kids of my own, I'm always like, oh, gosh, I hope I didn't shut people down when oh. we were kids, right? <laughs> but, you know, we all do, we're all doing the best we can at any given time, Absolutely. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, I mean, I really think that Neville delved into, um, you know, some practical ways, but mostly it's just going to come back to that. It's going to come back to... It's almost to me like a, a meditation um, that you learn how to to bring yourself back into holding that vision. I mean, I think that being able to hold a vision is probably one of the most important things we learn as conscious creators. I agree. And because you know, the, the I'm making air quotes, right? The reality um, is always in our head, but the reality. When people say, "Well, the reality is." You know, yeah. I don't have the money, or the reality is I am single and I and I don't have a relationship, or whatever it is they want to correct. And it's learning how to place ourselves in that vision and think from there. It takes practice. It doesn't just, you know. I think it came easier to Neville when I read his story about first learning about it 
But I think it's, I don't want to use the term beginner's luck, but I do want to say that sometimes we learn an idea and we just do it without questioning it too much. And when I read the story of Neville hearing about, you know, saying, what do you want? Oh, I really want to go home. I'm homesick. Okay, well, I'll tell you, this is what you do. When you go to sleep tonight, I want you to just pretend that you're already there. Just imagine, think from that place. Okay. You know, it's not too much overthinking of it, right? Right. (laughs) Sometimes we just, we, we luck into success because we're not so attached to whether we're doing something right or, This is true. Yeah. And so when I read it, I think of that. But I, I really do love his work. And I know that you said that you didn't have a lot of experience. So I'm really curious about the little experience of Neville's teachings that you did have, what what comes up for you immediately when you would hear someone talk about Neville Goddard? Is there a teaching that right away, you know, you would be familiar with that you would think of? Not particularly, no. I mean, I, I hadn't studied it enough to have a clear mental conception of what his overall message was. But the little bit that I had read, the, the parts that I read that didn't have any kind of biblical references just they they made sense in terms of what I understood about law of attraction from say Abraham Hicks or from other sources. So I said, oh okay, well yeah, he's definitely talking about the same thing there. Um, the, the sections that I saw that were heavily laden with biblical interpretation, I didn't read because I, I my own background was I, I had a big uh, rebellion against church when I was uh, in my early teens, and I really had no desire to go back there and relive that again. So <laughs> I just stayed away from that part. So I can't say I, I really read enough of Neville's stuff to have a really clear conception other than the fact that the non-religiously written stuff certainly made sense to me. But I, I, no particular concepts came up. So when you're talking mm-hmm. about how well, I knew that his his big book was called The Power of Imagination. And so clearly that ties in with what you're talking about because you're saying, well, imagination was really big with him. Well, yeah, I can see that. Imagination would be really big. And that is a very important uh, skill to learn. I mean, like you were saying, the idea of maintaining a train of thought. I remember when I was first trying to apply law of attraction. I've said this many times on the podcast, but... Man, oh man, did I have trouble staying on my my desired train of thought. My brain, my mind would just go off at the drop of a hat in any direction other than the one I was trying to imagine. <laughs> and it drove me nuts. I mean, literally, it was success. If I could hold the same train of thought for five seconds, it was like, whoa, I finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> Not easy. It really isn't. It takes practice. I, I think the, the biggest, you know, tip, for someone that's, you know, having trouble holding the vision is to remember that just like meditation where we continually just keep bringing ourselves back, bringing our mind back to the center or to the quiet or whatever we're focusing on when all of a sudden we realize our mind is drifting, with, you know, withholding a vision when all of a sudden we realize we're worrying about that thing mm-hmm. or we're really feeling a lot of resistance, we're attached to a certain outcome. When we have that awareness, we bring ourselves back. I mean, it's it's going to be like that. That's going to be part of the process is catching yourself, like mind drifting over there, and then bringing it back. That's, it's okay for that to happen. I mean, that's, oh, sure. that's part of it, yeah? And one of, you know, one of Neville's books is actually called The Power of Awareness. 
Um, those are the two I would really recommend to somebody who um, has not read any Neville would be Awakened Imagination and the Power of Awareness. And all of Neville's stuff is, is online for free. I mean, I have bought some of I want to have the hard copy in my hand. I love to use a highlighter and really, you know, write my idea in margins. But mm-hmm. all of Neville's work is all over the place for free online because it's public domain. So, right, right. Um, so you can just, you know, do a search for, you know, Neville Goddard, uh, Awakened Imagination or Power of Awareness, and you're just going to you're gonna find. And most of them are short. As a matter of fact, the big book that I have that's called The Power of Imagination, it's just a compilation of smaller books. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, there is no, you know, book that's, you know, huge. Um, I think and there a lot of his lectures are online as well. Like you said, he used to – I'm trying to remember where he used to teach because for years he taught at the same place. And it could have been a church or a civic kind of auditorium. But when you were talking about what was going on with the church at that time and um, and, you know, things changing, um, it reminded me of, I was like, well, you know, kind of what he did, um, it may have even been in a church, but he had like a, a lecture that happened on a certain night at a certain time, just the way someone would go to church. Mm-hmm. Like they go every Wednesday night or every Sunday morning or whatever. Right. He had, he had his thing and it was a regular, you know, thing that he taught and spoke at the same place. So it's almost like there was sort of a, you know, Church of Neville, right? I mean, people were <laughs> going to hear his lectures, and they happened at the same same date and time I do every know, week or whatever. I do know that uh, for iPhone users who are interested in hearing his lectures, you can actually find them uh, in the uh, the iTunes store, and there are literally hours and hours and hours and hours of him talking. Um, oh, now, wow. Now, I have to give you a little heads up, and that is he's not the most dynamic speaker, he does tend to talk a bit in a monotone, so you might want to be lying down ready to go to sleep just in case. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, you know, if his theories hold true about falling asleep, it might be the best thing to fall asleep <laughs> to, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, why not? Um, so, yeah, I was kind of scanning um, a little information I had to see if I could find, just just for fun, to see where it was. Um that he used to teach, but I don't see it. But I have read before that he, you know, um, I mean, he really influenced a lot of people. And he did not ever, I don't believe, label himself as a new thought teacher. I think he got labeled as a new thought teacher because Mm. there was, I mean, in hindsight, looking back at that time period, there was all of these, you know, new thought teachings going on. These new things were coming up. People were starting to... Um, teach esoteric Christianity. People were starting to have a different take on things. I'm talking about in America, anyway. Right. Um, and so, at that point, we kind of lump a lot of those teachers together because they were teaching mm-hmm. things that were similar into what we now call New Thought. Um, I don't know that he ever labeled himself that way, but I know if you if you look up anything about him, it's going to put him into that category. But like Joseph Murphy, who was a uh, famous, I think, New Thought teacher. Apparently, he was very, very um, influenced by Neville Goddard, and as was Carlos Castaneda. Oh. Um, so, like a lot of people that you might not think um, were big fans and were very influenced by yeah. his teaching. So, it was a big movement that happened. 
uh, during that time, which I think is kind of cool because things are so different now with the Internet. Mm. You know what I mean? I oh, mean, yeah. It's almost any viral if it doesn't have a whole lot of substance. But when I look back and you, and you look back at a time where we didn't have, you know, 500 channels on television and we <laughs> didn't have the Internet and we didn't have, you know, the the way we communicate now, cell phones and everything, we it seems like information would have really had to have an impact for it to kind of go viral. So oh, speak. yeah, yeah. And the proof is in the number of books that did go viral because it's a very small handful. There were a lot of there was a lot of stuff written, like you're saying, going back to the 19th century, but so little of it actually moved forward. In fact, one that comes to my mind is Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And I think one of the reasons his was, in a sense, allowed to go viral was that he didn't really go into the more esoteric part, the, the new thought part very much. He implied it. He said he, w- he would write things in this book like, um, if, if you're the, per- the kind of person who already has an idea of what it is I'm talking about, then I don't need to explain it to you. <laughs> because he didn't want to look too controversial. He wanted his book to be more mainstream and more popular because in his view, it was more important to spread the ideas of, of you know, what the major industrialists had to say on why they became major industrialists, how they ended up being successful. That's what, that what, that's what his main goal was in writing the book. But nevertheless, the LOA component was there. It's just that he wouldn't talk about it very much. He would say, well, it's there for those who know to look for it. Right, and I think that it was, um, was it the word vibration? I, if I'm remembering this correctly, um, in Napoleon Hill's book, that there there was an earlier version and then there was an edited version that was the, the version that really got out there and that the word vibration was used many, many times in the original version. That could be. I got, can't remember ed- for sure. It got edited out, and it was – I remember the first time I read it, it was like, just tell me, because he keeps, <laughs> saying, he keeps alluding to some secret, and you will notice it if you pay attention. Yeah. I'm like, why can't you just say it? Well, that, it frustrated <laughs> the heck out of me, I can tell you that. I, I mean, I liked the book, but I was like, well, give me the rest of the key, for goodness sake. You know, <laughs> I paid for the book. Yeah, right? Ugh. Yeah, he was... Um, it's an important thing, but I can't find it in here. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> so I think that that's that's interesting that you bring that up because um, there's that one. There's, um, is it How to Win Friends and Influence People? Dale Carnegie, um, yeah. But there really, there really were only a handful that really were, became huge, you know, I guess bestsellers. I don't even know if that was a, a term used then. But, um, but yeah, so... I think that, and I have no idea, not knowing of Neville until, you know, maybe the past 15 years, like, what was what was it like before? How how much did he, was there just a big resurgence of his work after the Internet where it's actually kind of spread out more and more and more? Um, were the people that were really, you know, into Neville back then when he was still teaching? He died in the early 70s, I believe. Um, so... Was it all word of mouth? Yeah, he died in, in 1972. So he was speaking in Los Angeles, you know, in the decades before that and in New York. Were, was it only people that were 
Was it just word of mouth? You know, I'm curious about that. I, I would think so. I mean, I certainly had not heard of Neville Goddard before I became aware of the Law of Attraction, and that was just 10 to 11 years ago, something like that. So mm-hmm. I know in my own case, I had no idea who Neville Goddard was. I'd never heard the name before. So I imagine, yeah, it's, without an Internet, without having, you know, the, the widespread benefit of being on a bestseller list, and yes, bestseller lists did exist then, um, I would think he probably he was probably regional in his popularity and, and maybe even local regional um, so that only a certain segment of the community knew about him. And, you know, that it was probably the, the same kind of regional attention that would say, go to, let's see, and I'm trying to get an example off the top of my head and I'm, I'm not finding something quickly, but, uh, or maybe not even regional, like a uh, well, completely different genre has having nothing to do with new thought. Ayn Rand had her own little circle of people. Uh, you know, it was a conservative right. thing, and and if you didn't know who Ayn Rand was, you you didn't know who Ayn Rand was. You had no idea. You never. You might have heard her name because she had a popular novel that sold well, but that was about it. You know. <laughs> so yeah, it, right. it was probably very localized. I would think. And then my guess is that with the um, with the popularity of Law of Attraction, with the movie The Secret, with um, Abraham Hicks. With all of that and the the powerful engine of you know social media and the internet, that Neville just got swept up in all of that and kind of had a resurgence of popularity. I mean that's my guess. There were a number of people though who were involved. You mentioned Dale Carnegie; he was certainly alive around the same time, maybe a little bit earlier than Neville, but they were definitely alive at the same time period. Um, Norman Vincent Peale, he, you know, the Power of Positive Thinking, that was a huge yes. book in the nineteen fifties. And it makes me wonder, did these people know each other? Had they met? Had they conversed? <laughs> you know, had they shared ideas? Because there was a lot of similarity between what the, each of them were saying. They each had different topics. They each had different approaches, but the similarities were pretty clear. So I'm, I'm just curious if well, they ever and talked. They did have, they did have at, at the, in the later time period, you know, um, they did have television and radio. Yep. And mm-hmm. so I know they had radio shows, so I'm sure they were finding each other and hearing each other's message that yeah. way, and that's why there's so many people in the New Thought Movement who claim that Neville affected their own belief system and their own teachings. So I definitely would say it's worth picking up. And, you know, I've got the the copy of Awakened Imagination here in my lap. And it, it's a small book with small, with big margins <laughs> <laughs> and um, less than 100 pages. Yeah, that, that caught my so, attention about him too. Because while I didn't, I haven't really read any of his stuff cover to cover. I was kind of surprised at how short the books are. They aren't like three hundred page tomes. They're they're pretty short. Yeah, yeah, and so that's what I'm saying is it's not, you know, if if it's something that doesn't appeal to you, you haven't wasted, you know, um, lots and lots of time right, yeah. trying to move <laughs> yourself through the book. There's definitely something that can be read in a short period of time. And so I, w- I just I highly recommend Neville. He may or may not be your cup of tea, but he's definitely worth looking into because he has some powerful things to say. I think his voice is an important voice in the. I'm oh, here. Oh, there you are. Oh, the, your voice disappeared. I wondered what happened. <laughs> um, I, I did hear a break as well, and thought maybe we just got dropped for a second. Yeah, that could um, be. We've had a few drops, but that one was very prolonged, and I wasn't sure what to what to make of it, but. Um, Finishing your thought, yes. I, I think the, the thing about Neville is he's somebody who uh, a number of people 
take very, very seriously. I've even referred to, seen him referred to rather as the prophet Neville Goddard. There, there are some people who are almost religious in their, their following of him, which I guess could also be said about others like Abraham Hicks or The Secret or whatever. Um, but the, 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 the supporters and the advocates of what Goddard has to say are, they're, they're quite vehement in their support of him. And some of them to the point of even exclusion. I, I, I saw one person who said, uh, who, who started a group on Facebook. It was a Neville Goddard group. And in the introduction to the group, he said, uh, we don't welcome anyone who, who, uh, likes to get their information from channeled beings. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Clear well, you know, shot. I was gonna, I was gonna say that, that it's interesting that, you know, some people may give more weight to a message because it's being channeled, and other people may not want to listen to the message because mm-hmm. it's being channeled. Oh, yeah. And kind of the same thing with Neville. Some people may give more weight to his message because, oh, they say, some people say he's a prophet, and he quotes these verses. And then other people may be like, yeah, that's not my cup of tea. Um, I try to look at everything as, does the message stand on its own? Mm. Um, it doesn't really, I don't really care that Abraham Hicks's message is channeled. It doesn't give it more weight for me. Um, I just want to know what the message is, and then does that message resonate with me as, you know, having value. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I think that, that that's interesting. Like, we don't welcome people who hear messages. <laughs> I thought that, that was, yeah, I was, thought that was I pretty understand, wild. <laughs> I mean, I understand where someone could have that sure. viewpoint of, oh, yeah. yeah, that's not for me, right? Yep. So, but I just like to say that, you know, any any information that we hear, um, whether wherever it comes from, does the message stand on its own? That's what Joel and I used to talk about quite a lot when we talked about Abraham Hicks materials that it doesn't really matter whether you believe in the channel part of it. If, if you want to believe that uh, Esther Hicks went and, and dug up an old tablet in the mountainside, it's fine. It doesn't make any difference. What matters is, is the message any good? Just does it, like you say, does it stand on its own? And for me, uh, when, I, when I read the Hicks materials, it does stand on its own. I don't care that it came from a channel source. I mean, personally, I actually like the channel source, but... Whether I like it or not is irrelevant. The material is good. It's really good. It, it's more yeah, meaningful and more accurate, in my view, than anything else I have ever read. <laughs> no, I agree. And like, I, it doesn't matter to me whether it's channel. It doesn't give me any more weight. It, it doesn't give the message more weight, in my view. I'm I'm happy to think that Esther Hicks is just a brilliant human being that um, that came up with it, you know, on her own. I, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> like, but but evaluate it on its own merit. And um, and that's how I look at at Neville. And you know, it's just uh, Neville's ideas have borne fruit in my own life, in my own experience. So maybe that's the important way that we look at things. Is, yeah, I'd say so. Is we hear the message, we try it out, uh, and did we have success with it? Did it impact our life in, in a positive way or in a good way? That's how I have to look at it. And, and the, the other thing that I think is very interesting, not so much for myself because my own background was quite different from it, but for those who are religiously oriented, um, there is actually plenty of material, biblical material, that they can look at if they're trying to explore the whole New Thought concept. Um, that's what Goddard was trying to do. Even if you're religious and you don't like the way Goddard interpreted uh, the scriptures, you can certainly find scripture pretty easily that does teach very nicely. To my mind, the, the, the clearest example of LOA 
in the scriptures is the, is the concept of sowing and reaping. As you sow, so shall you reap. Well, that's clear law of attraction. The sowing part is what you're imagining and what you're putting yourself into, what you're thinking about. And the reaping is, well, it shows up. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, you know. Right. Um, that's the most obvious one. But there are also many other uh, less obvious examples as well. So really it comes down to what information are you looking for, what kind of answers are you looking for, and what resonate with you. Um, for me, it may resonate differently from the way it, measure, it resonates for you, Cindy, and, and how it resonates for each of us may resonate you know, differently from what resonates with somebody else. That part doesn't matter. What matters is what does resonate, what does make sense. And ultimately, if you're going to be true to yourself, you have to stick to thought processes and, and uh, activity processes and feeling processes that work with you. And ultimately, if you stick to that as a, as a rule, if, it, if it's stuff that resonates deep down inside, then the differences don't matter all that much because we're all going to end up in the same place, so to speak, anyway. We're all going to come in the long run very much to the same conclusions. We'll just come there from different viewpoints. Agree. And so that's why it's important to find, you know, teachers that, feel true when you're looking at them and that don't, you know, um, cause a lot of resistance. We're trying to release the resistance. We're yes. trying to have less resistance. So yes. finding teachers that appeal to you, it, it may just be the way they write, their writing style, their speaking style, the stories they use um, are easy for you to understand. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it can be really simple, but you know whether you enjoy reading something or not. And since we're always going for the better thought, you know, I, there are some people that I know their writing is brilliant, and when I read it, I struggle through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there, I had one teacher that I just loved the way he wrote, but when any time I would read it to a friend of mine, she'd say, I just, I can't understand a thing he's saying. <laughs> it seems clear as day to me, right? So everybody's going to accept it a little different. But I was looking at something, because I, I made a mark here last night, I wanted to bring this up. So um, talking about, that story that we always tell, right? He talks about, like, inner listening. Mm-hmm. And I love this so much. He says, make your inner conversation match your fulfilled desire. What you desire to hear without, you must hear within. Embrace the without within and become one who hears only that which implies the fulfillment of his desire. And all the external happenings in the world will become a bridge leading to the objective realization of your desire, your inner speech is perpetually written all around you in happenings. Learn to relate these happenings to your inner speech and you will become self-taught. By yeah. inner speech is meant those mental conversations which you carry on with yourself. They may be inaudible when you're awake because of the noise and distraction of the outer world of becoming, but they're quite audible in deep meditation and in dream. But whether they're audible or inaudible, you are their author, and you fashion your world in their likeness. I love that so much. Mm, yeah, that's because nice. Because we're always, you know, we might not have a lot of mental chatter, or we may go through times when we have a little too much mental chatter, <laughs> but we're always carrying on some kind of story and conversation with ourselves. Yeah, right. And it's one of the things that that I teach in some of my workshops is, If you want to know what you're believing and what your mental conversation is and what your story is about yourself, just look around. Just 
see what's being created. Mm -hmm. See what's going on. There it is. (laughs) And I love the way he says, you know, your inner speech is perpetually written all around you in happenings. That's it's probably the hardest part of all. No, we can change it. <laughs> yeah, when, when we're first confronted with this idea of the new thought or the law of attraction, or whatever, that's probably the hardest part of all. Deciding, do I see a correlation? Do I see a correlation between what's been going on in my mind and what's going on outside? If I don't see a correlation, I'm going to have a hard time buying into it. But if I see a correlation, if I start noticing correlation, then I'm going to be more open to it. And, and you mentioned, you know, authors and so forth that can give us trouble and you have a hard time getting through it. One of the books that was, it was actually by far the hardest one for me, and I I couldn't even finish it, was the book The Course in Miracles. All that book ever did for me was give me a royal migraine headache. I mean, literally, there was nothing about that book I liked. My brother loved it. My brother thought it was great. I was practically throwing up. <laughs> I mean, two brothers, two entirely different reactions to it. The point being that if you if you're reading about something, if you're if you're getting ideas from a source and that source isn't working for you, just change sources. The concept, the question that's really important is: Is there a relationship between what you think and what happens in the real world? That's the real question. And if you have noticed enough going on in your life that says there is a correlation. That's the reason to be reading any of these teachers, including Neville Goddard. Exactly. Well said. And I think that, you know, sometimes people get defensive because they don't like what's going on in their life. They're like, I didn't create all of this, right? And and that's the place where we can just take a deep breath and just realize that maybe we're looking at what we're calling reality and we're telling that story over and over, and that's why it's being created. So well, it's, well it's, I know for myself, I didn't want to believe it because I didn't like most right? of what was going on. I said, I created this? Hell no. I, it wasn't my fault. Right. Exactly. said, no, I've been trying to change it. That's you know, right. But, yeah. <laughs> How yeah, dare but, you accuse me of we this? We start seeing it. We step into the power of responsibility and recognize, okay, I think I had I had something to do with it. And like so many people, I think I, I I attributed a lot of blame to it. You know, like, oh, no, if I admit that I had something to do with it, I'm blaming myself for it. And, and of course, the blame thing really gets in the way because it really isn't accurate. But that was part of the feeling, the feeling that, you know, I'm not to blame for this. I didn't do this. I didn't create this crazy mess that's here. That was the way <laughs> I felt, you know. <laughs> anyway, we we are nearly out of time. I wanted to take a moment to say if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. I'll give you the quick scenario. Step one, you can do it through uh, the website, LOAToday.net. There are subscribe buttons all over the place. Number two, on an iPhone, you can do it through the iTunes store. Just search on LOA Today. Click on it, subscribe, boom, you're done. Uh, on Android, it's a little bit more complex. So if you have like a Samsung or a Motorola or, a, or an LG or a Nokia or whatever, you have to get some software installed that can handle podcasts. Best place to do that is in the Play Store. Just download like Podcast Manager. It's a nice free app. Load that in, then use that to do the search for LOA today, and you'll get in. And Cindy, somebody wants some coaching. How do they uh, get some assistance from you? Because you're a great coach. Oh, they can find me online at cindychavez.com. C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. Come find me. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for giving us uh, the tutorial on Neville Goddard too. We appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. All right, and Thanks we'll. For- Thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.